For streaming, creating, gaming, and more, power your passions for less during Dell's exceptional cyber savings event. Enjoy up to $400 off stunning laptops like the XPS, along with high-performance desktops and next-level Alienware systems, redefining what's possible with 10th-gen Intel Core processors. Shop special prices on top-brand electronics and accessories, plus enjoy free shipping on everything. Don't forget to ask for Intel when you call 1-800-BUY-DELL. That's 1-800-BUY-DELL. Hello, it is Thursday, October 24th, 2019. We are so happy that you have chosen to listen to our show today. All those hours you spent listening to our show and we stunk. Today's going to be a day where it pays off. We got an interview with a, a convicted felon. Yeah. A man who is in jail for 15 months. A man whose name is notorious in the sports world. Now, I'll be honest when I say this, I feel like I gave him a pretty fair interview. Mm -hmm. Very fair. Tim Donahue, former NBA ref, joined us for like a 20, 25-minute conversation, and I think you're going to find it fascinating. As soon as we got done with it, none of us knew how to react. No. We had no clue how to react to this, and I think you're going to feel the same way. Still don't know how to. Still, I still don't know how to feel about yeah. it. Still Tweet don't. us right now after listening and tell us how we should feel about it because we honestly don't fucking know. Mm -mm. Yeah. <laughs> The only thing I do know in this life is if I'm going to a live sporting event, like the World Series last night, the boys and I got a chance to go to, if I'm going to a concert, if I'm going to a play, I'm cultured. Oh, yeah. Very. I'll go to a play, right? I'll go to a play right fucking now. Yeah. You will. You'll go to a play. I'll wear a sleeveless in there. I'll get a lot of nasty looks. I'll chug that little wine that they give us, but I'll go to a play. And if I'm going to get tickets for any of these things, I'm going to go through the number one ticket platform on planet Earth and the moon. SeatGeek is the greatest ticket buying platform because they scan all the other ticket buying platforms and make sure you're getting the best value for the ticket that you're buying. The best ticket available for the best price available is available for you from the best ticket buying platform, SeatGeek, because you are an incredible human who's also intelligent and chose SeatGeek. And right now, use promo code PAT, you get $10 off your first order. Nice. Wow. 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 Use promo code McAfee, you get $20 off your first order. Wow. No way. Wow. Wow. That's right. And it's easy as two taps. You download the app, you buy the things, you keep it moving, enter the promo code, save money, go live a little. You're alive, but are you living? Go live and experience something live with our friends at SeatGeek. Because you're not just buying tickets, you're buying memories, you're buying stories. You're buying that night before your wedding with your boys, and you say, hey, you remember when we went to that Yankees game and you got fucking bodied? Come <laughs> oh, Hey, you remember at that concert where we sang so loud that the people around us had to move because we had the time of our lives? You remember that play where we laughed so hard at these humans doing it? That is what tickets do for you. And SeatGeek sells the best tickets. So utilize SeatGeek. Use promo code PAT. Get $10 off. Use promo code McAfee. Get $20 off. Have a little self-awareness. If you're rich, let's go ahead and use the $10 off one of PAT. If you're not rich yet, use McAfee. Get $20 off. We need a little self-awareness because this business needs both of them things to continue to work. Speaking of continuing to work, this guy's not allowed to work in the NBA anymore. <laughs> and for good reason. For good reason after you hear this. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now is a man who you know and have heard about. A movie about his life, Inside Game, opens nationwide on Friday, November 1st. 
I can't wait to chat with them, especially with sports gambling becoming legal nationwide. I don't think there's a better human to chat with about it. Ladies and gentlemen, former NBA referee Tim Donahue. Tim, thanks for joining us. Yes. How often do you get a round of applause whenever you're introduced? <laughs> not, not too often. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Tim, for those that don't know uh, Tim Donahue, he was an NBA official who was actually caught um, kind of cooking books, setting lines, making things happen in the sports gambling world. Now a movie about it all is coming out on Friday, November 1st. My first question is, Tim, how did this all start? Were you a sports gambler to begin with and then you got presented an opportunity or was it uh, just like kind of out of nowhere and your life took a complete turn out of nowhere? Uh, kind of out of nowhere. I was gambling uh, at golf courses, playing cards in the locker room, running down to Atlantic City with a bunch of buddies. Uh, and then I started, you know, sports gambling on college and pro events, eventually spilled over to the NBA and eventually NBA games that I was officiating. With that being said, we would do it and we would stop. We would do it and we would stop. And one time when we stopped, um, what I didn't know that that information was being passed along to people associated with organized crime. And when I went into Philadelphia to referee a game, one of their associates came down and visited me and told me that he had known that I had been doing this in the past, he was getting the plays, wanted to continue to get the plays, or he was going to expose me uh, to the NBA for gambling, or worse yet, have somebody visit my wife or kids in Florida. So with that, I, I continued to give this guy the picks, and I was hoping by the end of the basketball season it would be done and forgotten, and he would never approach me again. But at the end of the season, it was heard over game being a wiretap, and the FBI started an investigation. Okay, so you were just doing this with like friends, like, hey, I, the games that I'm refing, I think we can probably do some things if we really need to. And then someone in your tight circle kind of leaked it to a much bigger uh, fish. Is that an accurate statement? Yes. Do you hate that friend that leaked it to the, the higher ups there? Hey, listen, I'm not happy about anything, but you know, <laughs> when you, you look in the mirror, you, you really have nobody to blame but yourself. I really did some dumb things i made some poor choices uh and i really can't blame anybody but myself okay so everybody as somebody who didn't play basketball growing up i grew up in pittsburgh which didn't have an nba team but i was a sports fan so i kind of understood it with the way the rules are there was always the thought like oh refs could definitely control how many points are being scored here just because of the little touch fouls and things here and there then when your story came out it kind of captivated everybody they're like we knew it Fuck it. We know that this was happening forever. Do you think you were the only person that's ever done this? No. In fact, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this name. Uh, Michael Francisi, who was a captain in the Colombo crime family who has left the mob and has uh, since become a preacher, said that in the 1990s, uh, he had three NBA refs on his personal payroll and none of them were named Tim Donaghy. So I definitely wasn't the only one passing information along. There were others that were definitely doing it. Do any of the other refs on your crew knew that you were doing it? Or is this literally a, a lone wolf operation? Or was anybody else on the crew like, hey, Tim, what the fuck is going on here? No, nobody said a word. And they really portray that great in the movie uh, where they show what I did and how I do it. Eric Mabius uh, does a great job in, in playing that part along with Scott Wolf and, and Will Sassa. So uh, Will Sassa plays Batista, who was the guy that was associated with the mob, and he just does an unbelievable job in, in playing Batista. And I, I would be shocked if he didn't get some kind of an award. Did you have – Will Sassa is going to win a, a, an Oscar for this thing? 
I, I don't know if he won an Oscar. I don't know what awards they give out for movies, but he really did. <laughs> nice. Will Sasso. I know Will Sasso from In Living Color. Is that right? Mad TV. Mad, Mad TV. TV. And then his vines were next level. Great. He's going to win a, a, a Academy Award for his portrayal in Inside Game, which premieres Friday, November 1st. I'm excited for that. Uh, was it a little PTSD for you to re-experience the entire thing that kind of took down your entire career while making this movie? Absolutely. It was embarrassing back in 2007 when I got caught. It's just as embarrassing today to watch the movie on the big screen. So, uh, you know, it shows a lot of uh, poor choices that I made, a lot of poor choices Tommy Martino made and Batista. And, you know, with that, we affected a lot of people other than ourselves. And that's the people we love the most. And that's our family. And that's a great message that's in the movie. And that's one of the reasons why I got involved. Were you married at the time? I oh, yeah, was, and now and I'm kids. happily divorced. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's funny because they said, did any anything good come from this whole situation? And I said, one good thing is, you know, they're, they're making donations to a school called Elwin, which is a school for uh, mentally and physically challenged boys in Springfield, Pennsylvania. And, and I got divorced. And, and, the, and I said that to the guy that I got divorced. He looked at me like he didn't know if I was kidding or not, but I was dead serious. <laughs> Sam, obviously you did some despicable things. I mean, the thought of a ref jeopardizing the integrity of a game is uh, catastrophic to the game in of itself. I mean, a lot of people know that. I'm happy you've kind of recognized your mistakes and moved forward. But to go back to your mistakes, I mean, I feel bad about this. I really do that this is what I have to pepper you about. But I'm a big boy. I can take it. Okay, good. I have so many questions. Let's not forget, it's it's going to be out in the movie theaters in about a week, so everyone's going to see it. Okay, true. So... All right, well, you said it. <laughs> Whenever you got started, did you get a rush out of it? Did you enjoy it? Absolutely. I loved the adrenaline of gambling, whether it was on the golf course, at the casinos. Uh, there were times where I was sitting at blackjack tables where people were winning or losing fifty dollars to $100,000. So, uh, you know, uh, I played and hung with a lot of big-time gamblers, so definitely the rush was something I enjoyed. My friend Diggs here, who's a complete degenerate, yep. sent me some stats here. That was very, very interesting. The first 15 games of the 2006-2007 NBA season that was refereed by you had a a significant enough betting to move the point spread by 1.5 points or more, and they were all perfect against Vegas. Was there any thought by you or Batista or Martino to be like, you know what, maybe we should fuck one or two up here so they don't get on our case, or were you guys just loving the amount of cash that was coming in? No, we we were rolling in it, and there was a period where – I write in my book that I think we lost uh, three in a row. And, uh, you know, Batista was getting a little antsy, even though we were, you know, winning in an 80% clip. And I was afraid that I was going to come home uh, after a 12-day trip after we just lost three in a row and my dog Zoe was going to be hanging from a tree. But, uh, you know, he was just <laughs> he was so pissed off after three in a row, even though we were really winning so many. So you said that it was discovered in the Gambino wiretap. I heard another story that it was actually Vegas who saw how much this certain gambler was winning that actually uncovered it. Have you heard anything of that nature or you said on that it was the Gambino wiretap that eventually exposed you? All I know is uh, you know, I had to be a cooperating witness for the government with the FBI. I've talked to a lot of FBI agents. They told me it was heard over a wiretap. Uh, Batista was down $7 million gambling. Then he started, uh, you know, getting involved with me to recover that money and he was able to get it back. And he was just doing so many drugs and talking on the phone 
Uh, he ran his mouth, and it was heard over again being a wiretap. This dude stunk at gambling. <laughs> <laughs> Down seven mil- How much was he gambling on your games? Uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and he got that seven million back quick. So <laughs> it's it all portrayed great in the movie. You're, you're, it, it's, I'm telling you, Will Sasset does an unbelievable job. There's an old saying that pigs get fed, hogs get slaughtered, and it feels like the crime organizations don't really live by that on numerous occasions, and this would be one. Batista, is that just his first and last name, or is that just how the guy operates? And is he still alive, and are you going to be a dead man because of all of this? James Baba Batista is his name, uh, you know, and uh, he is still alive. He's uh, still doing what he did back when we got caught. And, uh, you know, he's still booking bets and he's still doing everything that he did before. I'm in Sarasota, Florida, and he's in uh, uh, outside Philadelphia. So should you be saying where you're at right now? (laughs) I've seen enough mob movies. I grew up in an Italian city of Pittsburgh. I feel like this is something you should be sweating more than you currently are. Well, hey, it is what it is. I did what I did. Uh, I'm still here after 10 years, and, you know, uh, hopefully I'll be here for another 10. Look at the gut sack on this guy, man. (laughs) All right, so a lot of people are wondering, with nationwide sports gambling being okayed, how easy it is to corrupt each game, whether it's through the players or through the referees. Do you see that being a potential issue now that there's going to be literally billions of dollars gambled every single week, almost on every single sporting event, federal regulated-wise? Absolutely. When you look at some of these kids that are in college, okay, they're not making it to the NFL. They're not making it to the NBA. They're playing lower division one basketball or football. It's easy for somebody to go up to them and say, hey, listen, here's 20, 25 grand and go take care of your family. The line's 15. Don't win by 15. Win by 11, 12, 13, even 14. Win the game. Just don't cover the spread. I I think that that's where you're going to see the next scandal for sure is in, in college sports to where, you know, some of these kids that aren't as well off as uh, they would like to be is, are going to take that money and, and take that opportunity. How about referees, especially with the fact that most of them aren't full time and things like that? There was a rumor going around that one particular NFL ref, there was a gambler that was gambling on his game here the first six weeks and winning significantly. Do you think other sports have this same problem, not just basketball? I do. I think gambling's prevalent throughout uh, the United States. I think people love the action of gambling, and I think if they have a buddy who's an official, uh, the, the littlest edge they can get, uh, they're going to do it. But I also think that the NFL refs, the NBA refs make a lot of money. I think they're more educated now than they were back when I was doing it. So uh, I find it hard to believe at that level we get done. But I think at the college level, you're going to see people uh, associated with organized crime get to somebody, and it's going to be exposed. They're probably already getting to the nail, but they just haven't been caught. Okay, so... Was there ever a game where you and another ref were working against each other? No, because what I did was is I would uh, be in meetings in the morning or before the game, and I knew, uh, you know, if a, a referee was going to target a certain player, positive or negative, and I would just uh, pass that information along, and I wouldn't go uh, the other direction of that. I would just do what that other ref was going to do within the course of set of the rules. So you would have a direct call right to Batista or your guy would go to Batista? Did you have a direct line to the Gambino crime family every single day of your life while working as an NBA ref? Just Tommy Martino, who was the middle guy who dealt with Batista. And, and that's uh, you know how it plays out in the movie. They show that I meet with Batista that uh, first time at the Marriott Hotel. Uh, from there, we're, we're never going to speak again. And, and I'm going to go through Tommy and, and pass the picks along to Tommy and, and Tommy would pass them along to Batista and 
and the money would come from Tommy. That is so interesting. I mean, just the thought too, like the money train you guys were on there for a while had to feel so damn good. But I would have just assumed that somebody's going to think like, yeah, we should at least start maybe losing a little bit. But then once they start saying, hey, we're going to continue to do this or your family's going to disappear. I mean, that, that then you become in a spot where you're fucking stuck. Like even if you wanted to do the right thing, you could have, you never had, you would have never, ever, ever had the chance to do the right thing. Uh, and that's what the FBI agent said. They said, when did you think this was going to stop? I said, I, I was hoping at the end of this year, it was going to be the end of it. And they said, they never would have released you from the, the claws that they had into you. You would have been doing it till you were dead, till they killed you. Are they, were the FBI guys, did they understand gambling or were they kind of new to the whole thing and didn't really fully understand the racket? They, you know, after they sat down with me and I told them everything I did and how I did it, they shook their head and really didn't believe me. Two weeks later, after they flew around the whole country, interviewed coaches and players and former referees, they realized what I was telling them was the truth. And, and really, they understood that the NBA had a major problem on their hands with how they were doing business. Did Batista say anything rude about you on that uh, that wiretap, or was it just that we got a guy named Tim Donnie? Was he like, "Oh, this we got this little scumbag, Tim Donnie"? Did he ta- <laughs> did he t- talk any shit on that wiretap that made you go, "Oh, this Batista guy, bad guy"? No, he just said he had a referee, an NBA referee, in his hip pocket, and uh, from that conversation, they were able to uh, backtrack everything and, and link it from uh, Batista to Martino to me. Uh, so it came out last week again. I guess it was in your book. Uh, what was the situation with the Spurs Phoenix Suns series where you said the the Spur or the Suns were the better team, but you guys had the Spurs taking it all along? Is that right? Yeah. The, what happened was is Tommy Nunez was the supervisor of officials for that playoff series. He lived in Phoenix. He hated Robert Starver, who lived in Phoenix, who was the owner of the Phoenix Suns. Uh, and with that being said, he, he dictated to the referees what to call and what not to call. He loved. Going back to San Antonio, he loved the nightlife in San Antonio. He loved leaving his wife at home. Who and, was this? Uh, he wanted San Antonio to ad- advance. So with that being said, he uh, he concentrated uh, for the referees on what to call and what not to call, and it was always in favor of the San Antonio Spurs. Who was doing this? Uh, Tommy Nunez, who worked for the NBA and was the supervisor of officials for that playoff series at the time. So does the NBA get involved with calls? I, I mean, granted, you've been out for a while now, but they all have their little headphones on, their earpieces on, and there's always calls that seem to favor the big-time stars in critical games of the NBA. Does the NBA have their hands in those types of decisions? Absolutely. When you look at the NBA during the playoffs, they send a, a representative in and you watch the games, and when it team is down three games to none in the series, they show you film of the previous three games and they tell you what to look for and what to concentrate on. And what they do is they program and train those referees to make calls for that team that's down in the series so it doesn't become a sweep. It goes from three to zero to three to one, maybe three to two, generates a lot more revenue and income for the entire league. The NBA hates you, huh? Uh, what can I do? <laughs> <laughs> As you were saying that, literally, I was like, oh, my God, they have to absolutely hate him for saying this type of stuff. Like, this is not something that normally gets out, these types of comments. That's why you're such an anomaly in this whole thing. Right. And it it plays out in in the movie uh, really well. And, you know, like I said before, the movie's got a great message about choices and how we all made some really dumb and stupid choices and how it affected our families and, and ourselves. And it was just devastating for everybody involved. Do you still gamble? No, I uh, I do have a website where I consult with people who do gamble so that they 
you know, stay away from a lot of the pitfalls and traps that can be associated with games. Are you following any referees in basketball right now in college or in the NBA that you think could potentially be on the hook somewhere? Uh, I don't follow. I don't think that they're on the hook, but definitely there's uh, some referees in the NBA that have some trends and, and have problems or have uh, relationships, positive or negative, uh, that spill out onto the court in the NBA. Referees have such a big time influence on games, and I think you were a picture of that. It's happening even more so now in all sports. Refs have a very much refs can control games. That's just a factual statement. It's there's so much subjectivity in the game, and the problem is is that the rules aren't enforced as they're written in the rule book. They officiate the names on the front and back of jerseys. And even in the NFL, you'll see if anyone even gets near Tom Brady, the flags come flying out. But some of these younger second, third string quarterbacks can can get tackled around the knees or wrapped around the head and the flags don't come out. So until the sports leagues enforce the rules as they're written in the rule book and leaves the names on the front and the back of the jerseys out of it, I think you're always going to have the fans that are going to say, why? Okay, so if you were to travel back in time to 2004 before this all started and have a conversation with young Tim Donahue, you would say to him, hey, there's about to be an incredible temptation. Don't do it. I assume, is that what you would say? How do, they, how do you stop future refs from doing what you did? Uh, absolutely. Just take a look at my life and see the, uh, the damage that I caused not only to myself but to my family, uh, the embarrassment that I caused the league and, and my other uh, refereeing partners. So uh, it was... Uh, Definitely detrimental in, in, in so many different ways in what I did and what I got involved with, who I was hanging out with. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I can't turn back time. I certainly wish I could, but I can't. What do you do now? Uh, right now, I'm, uh, you know, involved in real estate. I manage rental properties and I have my website, repix.com, and I'm doing a lot of marketing for the movie. Good for you, Tim. I mean, I assume there was a pretty heavy rock bottom. Did you do jail time? I did. I did 15 months in a federal prison. I uh, uh, went in there and I was a cooperating witness for the government. So I had a big stamp on my forehead. I was uh, I was attacked in prison by a guy who claimed to be associated with the Gambino crime family. And uh, he did damage to my knee. I've had two operations on my knee to try to alleviate that pain. But, uh, you know, it's uh, something I'm just going to have to live with. They took your knee out, like literally took you out at the knees. They did. You Italians, bro. You just can't help it. Oh, don't turn on us. So, <laughs> Did you ref basketball games in the prison? Oh, great question. No, but it, but it's funny. They, they did ask me to do that. And uh, <laughs> you know, I have to have a job. And there's a, you know, uh, a gym and they play games at night. And they did ask me to referee the games. But I, I, wanted, I turned that down. <laughs> like, yeah, my knee hurts, bro. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do in there then? You just wrote, kind of stuck to yourself, I assume? I tried to. I worked in the kitchen and, uh, you know, I kept my head down for, for 15 months. And, uh, you know, I'm fortunate that I got out of there alive. I've seen uh, Locked Up and other shows about prison. And by the way, it looks terrible in there. Uh, I'm not saying that you didn't deserve it, by the way. I assume you did because of everything that happened. But making it out of that, I mean, your story is such a deep one. I, this all comes from your book that I assume people can buy now. Yeah, it's on Amazon.com. Uh, it's still out there. And, you know, not only was I in prison, I got thrown in the hole for, uh, you know, supposedly being out of bounds for 15 days and they fed me through a slot in the door. So uh, prison's no joke, even when they talk about being in these country club prisons. Uh, 
You know, you get into that system and it's just impossible to get out of. What did you do? What, were you cooking those basketball games in prison? You got sent down to the hole? <laughs> I, was, uh, I was supposed to be somewhere. I was at the gym. And uh, when I got back, they said I was out of bounds. They shackled and handcuffed me and threw me in a county jail and put me in solitary confinement for 15 days. Paul Crew. Yep. Yes. <laughs> what does that mean, out of bounds? There's like rules where you're supposed to be and where you're not supposed to be? Is that type yeah. of... Yes. Oh, my gosh. Tim, I know you have a heart out here. You got somewhere to go. I feel like I have so many questions. I, I just... Uh, were you ever... <laughs> no. Do you even eat at like Italian restaurants anymore? Just out of fear of potential of them showing up? Uh, I, all the time. I love Italian food. I just make sure I'm facing the door. I can see who's coming in. <laughs> Tim, that's smart, man. You made a massive mistake. You paid your dues. You're back on the other side of it. I hope the movie does well. Inside game? The inside game or just inside game? Uh, just inside game. Inside game coming out Friday, November 1st. I can't wait to watch this. Vines, Will Sasson is going to win the Academy Award for that. That is awesome. That is beautiful. Um, I think a lot more people are educated in knowledge on this educate or on this system because of you, by the way. So granted, your life had to take quite a fall for everybody else to learn about this. But the same thing happened for Pete Rose. When you walk into an NFL locker room, when you walk into a professional locker room, all it says is don't be Pete Rose, basically. I would assume the refs are doing the same thing for you. It always takes that one to kind of learn from. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and again, uh, it wasn't an easy ride. I'm, I'm lucky I'm in the position I'm in. I have great friends and great family, and I was able to get through it. Was there any scary moments during the season while you're doing it, only at the end whenever you try to get out? No, I mean, everything went so good because we won, you know, at an enormous clip, and uh, we, were, we were riding high. It wasn't until after the season over was over that I got exposed. I was uh, on the golf course and Tommy Martino called me and said the FBI had been at his house three times. So that's when I knew I was in a lot of trouble. How was your golf game uh, that particular day? Probably terrible, if I had to guess. It's a lot of in between the years. I didn't even play. I was a poor handicap. I just had a brand new set of ping irons. I didn't even hit them. I threw them back in the bag and went home. <laughs> <laughs> did any coaches or players say to you, Tim, you're definitely on some shit right now. This is a terrible. Did, did any coaches or players catch on to it? Never. Nobody ever said a word. Good for you, I guess. Man, if you're gonna do it, at least do it in a in a sly way. I mean, the FBI caught you, but no players or coaches. That would be the first thing I think. Like the coaches or players would be like, "This motherfucker's cooking." There's no way that is the call. The fact that that didn't happen is pretty impressive. Uh, can't wait to see the movie. Can't wait to see Will Sasso. Uh, happy you're on the other side of this, selling the hell out of some real estate, man. Refpicks.com. Yes. Are you pretty good? Do you make good selections or? Absolutely. Really? 80%? Not, not, not 80%. <laughs> not that good anymore, unfortunately. Let's say I have a friend who's like $7 million or so in debt. You think uh, maybe you go to refpicks.com, really turn them yeah, off? Send, send them my way. I'll help them. <laughs> you have a proven track record. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Donahue. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Cheers, man. I don't know how to feel. <laughs> I have no clue how to feel right now I have now. no idea how to feel There's way more really? going on I literally have no idea how to feel right now I kind of love how smug he is yeah. after the whole thing Kind of yeah, love I did it. it I'm in Sarasota by the way Here's my address <laughs> Fucking Batiste ain't doing shit Call them out Serve this time I know. I'm I would assume like living in fear after a certain amount of time You finally just like fuck it V you for Vendetta yeah. She shaves her head She yep. lives without fear anymore that's probably how he feels, especially, I mean, if he won Batista over $7 million, I mean, 
How greedy does Batista got? Well, they grew up together too. They went to high school together. No, that was Martino. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was the Martino guy. His the middle guy who linked him to Batista, who was in the Gambino crime family. <sighs> All I know is uh, teams down 0-3. I'm taking them. Well, it sounds like that's what RefPicks.com is telling you. Like, mm-hmm. hey, listen, this is what they're programming refs to do. The NBA has to fucking hate that guy. Hate. Like what he just said right there after meeting Adam Silver yesterday, I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm thinking of Adam Silver listening to that, just being like, this motherfucker never stops talking. This well, fucking guy thought they get, he's probably calling Batista. He's like, hey, <laughs> I can get the IP address for this fucking guy tomorrow if you need it. <laughs> Silver probably has a great first impression of you. Oh, what the fuck's going on with China? <laughs> Today we welcome in Tim Donahue. He's going to tell us everything that you never knew about uh, the NBA. How about Tony siding with uh, the Italians there? Oh, yeah. Breaking his knee. Oh, by right, right to his face. <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't turn against us. Yeah, I mean, it's truth. I, I always start dying laughing. <sighs> I'm 0.09% Italian, so I should be a little bit upset with the guy. But Mike Francis came and spoke to us at West Virginia about this exact situation, basically. Now, if, yeah, it could be good money for you now, but remember, it's never ending. That's basically what Francis said. He was the youngest mob boss in the history. They're calling him like the, I forget what it was. He was the diaper Don. Is that what they called him? I just made that up. <laughs> That's, That's pretty, pretty good. good. That, that might that be, what, be they were, what they called him. Right? But he, he was running this gas gimmick in New Jersey where he would set up a gas station instead of paying the state tax on each gallon of gas, they would just swipe it. And then the feds would send him like a cease and desist or whatever, whatever it is. They would shut down. And before they could even get there to investigate it, he would already have another gas station open or like across town. So he did it for like years, just was collecting millions and millions and millions of dollars for these, this mob family. And he was very young. His dad was a mob boss, this whole thing. Uh, And then he turned and, in jail and he was like this is my life this is what i did and he talked to us about all the cooking of books and he just scared the hell out of everybody we weren't even allowed to know who it was talking to us when we get one in there mm-hmm. and then we got there he was like yeah i try not to say where i'm gonna be when i'm gonna be places that type of thing <laughs> i was like makes sense he was like but all the people that are under me are now bosses so he feels like he he thinks it felt as if he thinks like the people who are now bosses have a little bit of respect for him but that mob thing, man. Whenever you cross, you're fucking. You're not only your knees, uh, your fucking brain. Well, the mob is so embedded with gambling that there's. I mean, there's no way. Well, they've had to have been right. Yeah. If gambling would have been federal from day one, the mob wouldn't have had its hooks in Correct. it. The mob would have went somewhere else, drugs and all this other stuff. But since it was such a massive part of our culture and society. The only people that could run the books were the Italians, right? Yeah. I don't want to say the only people, but the Italians found it as a great way to get in. Now that it's getting federally regulated, it's going to be interesting to see that kind of transition. Well, and that's not even the problem anymore. It's that the individual mob members are degenerate gamblers. So it's more so a problem that they get way behind or they can influence their own financial Batista was behind that. seven million dollars. Yeah. Well and he was yeah. a, he was a middleman too. So to like, who? By the way. Yeah, how are you still alive at that point? But who's he down seven million to? Huh. Some bookie. So he wasn't the bookie. Who? He's the head of, he's in the game. Gotta be a couple of them. Yeah. Bigger so than the, him. A, a Gambino Whatever he was. I don't know if he was an underboss or whatever he was. He was up there. He was going down to bookies. And then that's like when um, when you do like a double or nothing bet with somebody very important. You're never going to be able to say, give me my money. I don't know if Gambino. Yeah. If he was ever- that's I, a problem. I bet you he owned guys. out. Like the, the adrenaline from being a successful bookie and getting over on everyone that books with you isn't enough. 
it's I got to go out and make it my own way on my own bets. So what I read was Batista was a more of a he wasn't exactly the bookie. He was the middleman. No, that's Martino. Oh no, no, no. For so yeah, Martino gave him the picks, but then he was he was basically uh, an investor. So like he had people would just give him their money, and then he would place the bets for them off of Donahue's picks. He's like a VC firm. Yes, gambling. Wow. Yes, Batista. Mm-hmm. Bob Bob Batista. A mover and shaker is what they call it. I'm I'm actually kind of excited to watch a movie. Yeah, I'll watch no, it. no chance I watch it in theaters. No offense, Tim. No. Zero chance I watch no. it in theaters. We can actually maybe out, get them to send a, a screener for it. Oh yeah. By the way, that's been That'd offered be to us a couple of times now. By we're a big time show. Now that we've gone corporate, we get opportunities for private screenings before they come out, so that we can judge them on our show, so they can get free pub. Yeah. That'd be one we probably. I mean, it's next Friday. We're we're never going to be able to find time to do this. No, but if they send us a screener, we could just watch it at the office. Yeah. Something to think about. Something to think about. Will Sasso's winning the fucking Oscar. <laughs> it's about time. Sasso, Italian guy, playing a mob boss. Was uh-huh. he calling him Sasso or Will Sassa? He Sasso. said Sasso. And then um, Could he be said Francisi. I think it's just Francis. I think. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, he dropped a couple waters. Yeah. Interesting life, that guy. 15 months in jail. That is not just like, uh, that's not a sneeze at. No. Especially if you're a snitch. <laughs> 15 months in there is a long time. Get your knees fucked up. I almost asked him. So happy that you asked. Classic prison question. <laughs> so happy that you asked mm, to be refed in jail. House of food. That's what you're going to ask him? Yeah. I was the classic. Him. House of baloney. <laughs> I was going to ask him about that too. There was another prison question I was going to ask him though about the, you know. So rich. happy you asked. Yeah, we figured. The refereeing in jail though. Because I like the athletes that we've had on in jail on the show. I like to ask them if they played the sport in jail. Exactly. That makes sense. If he's in there, can't fucking do that. <laughs> oh, you know what do you know, Tim? What do you know, Tim? You don't know the rules. You're just you're just making them up for fucking gambling. I told you we were going to be very befuddled. We were. As soon as we got done with that thing, we had no idea what was going on. We still don't know how to feel. Tweet us right now and let us know how you felt about that, how you feel about the NBA, and if you felt at all that Tim Donahue was sorry for what he did. <laughs> He, doesn't, it doesn't look like it. He paid his dues to society, though. You know what I mean? 15 months in federal prison. Sure. At some point, he's going to have to get over feeling bad about it all, and I think he's at that point. I will say this. Excited to watch the movie, especially if Will Sasso is going to win a fucking Academy Award. <laughs> 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 I think Tim Donahue had a good time with us, by the way. I'm not sure he has a good time in a lot of places anymore. Well, definitely not. Yeah, I think I think he appreciated it. He felt it felt like you you gave him a chance to to handle it however he wanted. I would like people to know though, for those that think I was maybe too nice to him, I called him despicable and a scumbag. Yeah, no, I mean you <laughs> you put the screw you put the screws to I him did. in a nice yeah. way. Yeah, I had to. Yeah, because he's a guest on the show. He came on the show. I'm very thankful for that. I mean, Spade's a Spade. He is a scumbag. You're just doing you know your due. And diligence. he knows it. I think he was even admitting it. Yeah, what can I do? He said. <laughs> <laughs> That smirk. He had that smirk the whole time. A little smug. Yeah, very smug. Delco County's finest. <laughs> Yo! Yo, you hear about Donahue last night? <laughs> Fucking went down to Geno's and Pats after he's shaving points in a 76ers game. <laughs> very thankful for Donahue. Can't wait to watch that movie. Congrats to Will Sasso on an incredible performance. Yep. I am a Will Sasso fan, so too. Am I. I love I it. am, too. 
I did not know him from acting, by the way. I knew him strictly from Vine. He was Chris D'Elia to me, basically. He was a Vine star in my eyes. The one with the orange is when he got me. Yep. Have you ever seen this, Fox? Are you no, too I young? Haven't. Vine, rest in peace. Let's have a moment of silence for Vine. That was the equivalent to two Vines right there. Oh, 12 yeah. seconds. <laughs> I don't like how Will Sasso treated uh, Lloyd in Entourage. Oh, yeah. He was a little rude, wasn't he? Very, very rude. Now he's playing a mob boss that uh, was bossing around Tim Donahue. Can't wait. Won $7 million in gambling and thought nobody was going to notice. <laughs> That's incredible. All right, listeners, people in this room, I am holding something awesome in my hand right now, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. You have to guess. All right, I'll give some. Okay, I'll give some descriptive things about what I'm holding. Okay, you guess what it is. Right. It's ice cold, like a corpse. Ooh. Microphone. Penguin. Nope. Some people are afraid of it and think it's for Satan worshippers. Baseball. <laughs> Got bodies. <laughs> Got him. A corpse is accurate. A Mich- Michigan State doctor's exam. Oh, oh no! <laughs> we were having fun. This is a fun show. <laughs> All right. Although those are very accurate guesses, that is not what I'm holding. We're not there yet. A cop stopped me right outside for walking around with this thing in public. Oh, smack. What was that? Smack. See, I don't know what street drug you're referring to there because I think in different uh, cities that refers to different drugs. Mm-hmm. But no, it is not a drug. A machine okay. gun. It is not a machine gun either. Damn it. But I take these things down in a rapid fashion. Takes. And speaking of machine guns, you can shotgun this. Oh. oh. It tastes delicious. It's metal as fuck. You can get some for free if you literally sell your soul. Some of you would be so grounded if your parents found it. Sounds pretty cool, right? Really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Is that Tim Donnie? <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I'm not telling you what it is. You'll have to find out for yourself by going to whatthefuckisthisshit.com slash pat, and you'll even get a 6.66% off if you decide to buy it. That's whatthefuckisthisshit.com slash pat. Whatthefuckisthisshit.com Slash Pat. I'm going to be honest. It is actually very good. It is. I love it. I I legitimately love it. That's an aggressive ad read meant to turn heads and spark some interest. You should go to whatthefuckisthisshit.com slash Pat and experience this in your life. Kind of flipped the game on its head a little bit, to be honest with you. It really did. I mean, I'm no Don Draper, but I think if they actually just marketed it as is what it is uh i mean it's pretty easy to sell you know i mean it's fucking water in a can it is is. ice cold canned water (laughs) it is so good (laughs) once you taste it you can't not tell 20 people how awesome it is so word of mouth is gonna be crazy yeah so what the fuck is this shit this shit is very cold water from a can (laughs) wherever you think like i don't want to drink my water from a can i had those initial feelings as well think again it is Long in ice cold water in a can. (laughs) It's true. It's really good. And you can shotgun it. I have instant hydration, they say. Take that. Then toss it like you're fucking Luke Combs. Don't they, they, 
it, I mean, it's bottled or canned, I guess, in the Alps, in the oh, actual, yeah. you know, French Alps aquifers it. up there. That's why it's so good. You guys ever had any of that Alps water? I have. Oh, yeah. Fucking delicious. <laughs> Speaking of delicious, I had some takes earlier today. You're on a heater. Heater, dude. A real heater. No vitamins. What? None. Ah, uh, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. But to, for you, none. None. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's something to think about. I don't know. <laughs> I'm excited to learn what the Emmanuel Sanders incident was. John Elway, when he traded away Emmanuel Sanders yesterday to the San Francisco 49ers. What is that team, 2-5? and five? Uh, I believe so, yes. They're 2-5. and five. He gets traded away to an undefeated team. Emmanuel Sanders had quite a glow up there in just mm-hmm. one decision by a general manager and another general manager. Two former players, John Elway, John Lynch, negotiate the deal. John Elway says, the locker room knows why we got rid of him. The locker room knows that this is not the standard we're going to have here for the Denver Broncos. He, he alluded to him being selfish and something happening after, after the Tennessee Titans game between Emmanuel Sanders and somebody else in the locker room. Josh Shitton was on in the first hour. He said... That he would assume that Emmanuel Sanders was sick of losing. So maybe his emotions got the best of him or the worst of him in a moment. Maybe he said something to a coach, went after somebody. Maybe said something like that. And John Elway, for some reason, couldn't get over it. Like, these types of situations do happen. Players do tell coaches to go straight to hell in situations where there's a high, high tensions, very competitive atmosphere. Yep. Instant results on whether or not you're doing good or not doing good. I mean, they literally keep score. So those types of situations can bring a lot of tension. So Emmanuel Sanders did something after the Tennessee Titans game that John Elway could not get past, could not get over. I would assume John Elway had been looking for a suitor for Emmanuel Sanders for a few weeks now. I would assume that John Elway in this story will come out at some point. Emmanuel Sanders has to have two good games for the 49ers, and the questions will come to Emmanuel Sanders. Why wasn't it working in Denver? And you'll say, well, you're going to have to ask them about that. And then somebody will ask them about that. And at some point, Adam Schefter or one of these insiders will get to the bottom of it, and they'll be like, well, apparently, after the Tennessee Titans game, Emmanuel Sanders threatened to smack a mother in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Something along those lines will happen. And I found it interesting that John Elway was accusing people of being selfish because literally John Elway, one of the most successful, not only businessmen, but quarterbacks of all time and quarterback businessmen of all time. Guy has 45 different car dealerships in Denver. He's making money right now while doing nothing. He's getting paid well to run a good operation out there in Denver. They're not great now, but he had success. But he started something called the Quarterback Club whenever he was in the NFL. Him, Marino, Kelly, I believe there's a couple others. And ba- Favre was in there. Maybe. I don't remember. But he was like one of the leaders of this quarterback club, which is literally a slanderous term in the NFL because of how incredibly selfish they were with <laughs> deals and money and everything like yeah. that. So to hear him come out and say, well, we're not going to have a selfish culture, it's like, hey, John, no offense. You're an incredible quarterback. Incredible quarterback. Talked to Terrell Davis yesterday. He talked about how that team, all they want to do is they did the Patriot way, but only for a few years. They had a three-year run where they were doing the Patriot way before the Patriot way. He, he, he compared them to the Patriots, but he very much understood that the Patriots have been doing this for almost two decades, so it's on a much grander scale. But they did the Patriot way where they worked hard, attention to detail, situational football, do your job, all that stuff. I respect the hell out of John Elway, what he did on the football field, and I respect him as a businessman. 
But you sound a little bit like a hypocrite whenever you come out and say, oh, he can't be selfish, that's not standard in his locker room, when literally the quarterback club is known for being an incredibly selfish group of humans, and you're the face of it almost. So that's an interesting thing, and we'll see how the Denver Broncos bounce back. But that was that caught my eye this morning while we were on a play. I was like, huh, it's funny you say that, Mr. Elway. It's very interesting because he got very specific in a sense. I mean, intentionally brought up that there was an issue to the media for a reason, and then specifically said after what happened at the Tennessee game, we just thought this was the best choice for everyone involved. That's a very specific reference. And then when he's asked, well, what specifically happened at the Titans game? Well, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> you just you know? did. Yeah, you just brought you us did, to you, this you point. Did. Excuse me. We didn't even know the Titans were involved <laughs> yeah. in this. And now you're drinking us here. And now you want to elaborate. It's like, he's dabbling the carrot. Who is that? Uh, who is that investigator? Uh, Sherlock Holmes? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. He's a good one. I sent Go Go Gadget. Is that that guy? Inspector Gadget, yeah. That's the Same guy, the guy that is Go Go Gadget Inspector Gadget? Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He used to do the thing with the arms? Yep. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I did the thing with the arms to send text messages out to the people I know in that Broncos locker room because as soon as I read that, I wanted to know what the hell happened, and nobody has responded to me. Uh, this is like becoming a new thing, by the way. Curse of having a show. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And every once in a while, I'll ask a question to somebody, and they'll respond to me. They'll be like, I can't tell you what really happened. Just want to let you know I'm happy you're doing well, and if you ever want to have a beer, we can do that. I'm like, will you please just give me an exact quote? I will say so it's no a... one thank you for the two wins that we brought the Broncos, or that you, oh. I mean, they, they'd be staring down the barrel of 0-7 oh. right now. Great if it point. wasn't for having Joe Flacco on the podcast and him playing Elite for two weeks. Yeah. Hmm. Something to think about. I'm going to send more texts. I just want to let you know if you're in the Broncos locker room and I have your phone number. I'm about to be bombarding you. <laughs> it's going to be get to the spam thing because that is so interesting to me. Yeah. Because it wasn't like how yeah, we're trying to tank and we're trying to rebuild. He didn't say that at all. He said, no, we're trying to win games now. Mm-hmm. This is strictly because of what happened in this situation. Will you tell us about that situation? No. <laughs> well, so what the hell are we doing here? <laughs> what, I, what did you say you were trading me? Imagine if, you- I was in that, if I was in that, that press conference area. I think it was a conference call. So it's on the phone, mm-hmm. and they probably can just mute me if I'm on there. Hey, wait, 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 wait a minute, Mr. Elway. You, you can't do that. Yeah, I can't. I'm the boss. All right. I guess you're right. I don't know what to tell you, but somebody needs to follow up on that. I'm going to start a general manager's club. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just tough, too, because the public perception is that, like, you know, he's an egomaniac. Who? Elway. Oh, see, I didn't know that. Yeah, at least, you know, every time I think of Elway, I think of – him being just an ass, and then when he fired John Fox, thanking himself. Like, it was like a little Freudian slip of the tongue, but you could tell, you know, it, it just... What do you mean? So, they fired John Fox after he was out of town. He said, first off, I'd just like to uh, thank John Elway. And then, <laughs> and then he started laughing, and he said, you know, John Elway, John Fox. Like, he, he just, I, I think he is an egomaniac, and I think that kind of leans in more to your point that Sanders said something he didn't like, and he's like, all right, screw it, let's get this guy out of here. And it's, it's, it's just such an interesting situation because whenever people get traded, normally both sides just try to take the high ground, right? Like we're just trying to take the high ground here. Mm-hmm. We'll just move forward. It's like a breakup, right? It's like a breakup. And then ultimately, there's going to be some negative feelings, but publicly you're always like, hey, let's just, let's just move forward here. We're both better off now. Emmanuel Sanders woke up on an undefeated team this morning. Elway now has the problem out. Let's do it. Instead, Elway almost stirs the pot a little bit and was like, oh, this guy wasn't really that good of a teammate. That's what he's alluding to whenever right. he says these type of things happen. Now, I have to wonder, after talking to John Lynch, by the way, for like 
15 minutes before that Stanford game. He was there. His kid plays for Stanford. He was on the sideline. I got a chance to meet him for the first time. Looks like he can still play, by the way. His neck. <laughs> his neck. Is this, he was all decked out in Stanford gear because he went to Stanford. His kid was going to Stanford. I mean, it was it was a very casual conversation with him. He used to do TV, too. So he had a very good – like, he right. understood what I was going through and stuff like that. Cool conversation. He even knew that I thought about coming back, by the way. Really? He said, I want to let you know, uh, a lot of us had conversations about whenever you thought about coming back, about potentially reaching out. And I was like, that means a lot. I want to let you know. That, <laughs> hey, John, I want to let you know. <laughs> That means a lot. He said, I did talk to somebody who knows you, though, and they said it's probably going to take a little bit for you to pass the test. And we both had a good laugh. And I was like, yeah, probably accurate. <laughs> but he was a very good guy talking to him. And he said he's building a team that he really likes, right? Like, he, they're really good right now. He said, we're building a team that we really like. Hasselbeck asked him about, like, hey, why is your run game working? Can you point out one particular person? And, and he was like, no, it's everybody. Like, everybody. The wide receivers are blocking. Like, it's a, it's a team thing. So I would wonder when you're building something that way, if John Elway calls you and you're negotiating a deal, did John Elway tell John Lynch about the situation that happened after the oh. Titans thing, or did he wait to release that until after the trade? That's, an, that's a wow. very interesting thing for me to think about. I would assume, because Lynch did work for the Broncos a little bit as a scout, right. that they had that conversation. And if it's something that Lynch was like, yeah, I can handle that, and Elway was like, no, I can't handle that, that's something that I can't wait to find out about. Like, what is Lynch oh. like? Yeah, I'm cool with that happening. And Elway's like, no, we got to get him the hell out of here. Well, and that would be my question is if, Elway was really, you know, pissed at him and done with this guy, then doesn't it seem like he was almost doing him a favor by trading him to San Francisco? Yes. So, like, you would think maybe it's like, okay, if I really want to stick it to this guy, then I'll trade him to Cleveland or something like that. Or, Whoa! Know, I mean, they stink. But <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> they have a bye week! <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. I mean, he... You basically you come out, you say, like, uh, you know, we can't win with this guy, can't do it, won't do it. And then you trade him to a team that's undefeated, and you're you're putting him in a good spot to you know go somewhere that that's he- like that's like the hilarious situation of Jamie Collins with the Patriots. Yeah, the rumor is that he walked into a team meeting and asked to get paid or something like that, and the next day he was shipped to Cleveland. Oh no! Belichick was like, "Oh, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah." And, and then walks into the next team meeting and doesn't even have to say anything. He's just like, "Anybody else have any?" Uh- <laughs> Just, just one over anybody else. But now he's brought him back, and Jamie Collins is having a hell of a year. Darius Butler, friend of the show, said that he thought that was going to happen. But you're 100% right. He almost helped out Emmanuel Sanders. And also, not to get lost in this thing, old Nino uh, Diggs. Old Nino Diggs. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, sir. From the Detroit Lions. Shipped out of town to the Seattle Seahawks. They get better. The lines get worse somehow. Everybody in the locker room's turned against Matt Patricia. Is the world crumbling in Detroit? Not that it already hasn't. The Ford stock is plummeting. The Lions are shipping starters out of town. Harbaugh the- stinks. Harbaugh stinks. The locker room's mad at the Lions. What's Matt Patricia going to be able to do? We're going to see if he can rally troops because it feels like that trade was one that wasn't very well received in the locker room as well. Not at all. Where John Elway said the locker room very much understands this trade for Emmanuel Sanders. So two different Mm-hmm. atmosphere is there. Uh, it just feels like we're in a wild time in the NFL. And this is what happens whenever you're very top-heavy and very bottom. There's no middle Much like society, the NFL has become a depiction of our society with no middle class. You're either very good or very bad. And if you're a very bad team, you're trying to do everything you can to be very good next year. And if you're a very good team, you're trying to accrue everything you can to continue to get better and better. And it seems like this year is really going to shape up well. But that Lions team, the fans all thinking right now that they absolutely... Stink. 
You think they quit? Is that what you think? I actually do. I really do. As a fan of the Detroit Lions, this is about the time of the year when they actually have a good team. I think they're a lot like the Chargers. They're in games all game, and then they lose it. They can't find a way to win, and then they give up. Well, I guess there's a young guy behind Nino that's a very good football player that I would assume has bought into the Matt Patricia method a little bit more. So maybe he'll get a chance to shine. I have faith in Matt Patricia. I like Matt Patricia as a person. I think he's a very smart guy. The Lions look good early. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are saying Kurt Warner was saying they were the best team in the division. The record doesn't show that. So they're going to have to turn things around. Speaking of the Chargers, in the first hour, Tom Brady's selling his house. His trainer's selling his house. His contract's void after this year. Is Tom Brady bored with success? I think his landing spots are either the Titans for Mike Frabel. Him in Nashville could be cool. This is if he leaves. Schefter's saying he could leave. And if Schefter speaks, a lot of people listen. The Chicago Bears, big city, terrible quarterbacks. Or the Los Angeles Chargers. Phillip Rivers' contract is up. He likes Los Angeles. Spanos is going to give him a a percentage of the franchise. Bang, they're off and running. It's a win, 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 win. Absolute win, win, win there. So if he goes to the L.A. Chargers, that entire franchise is turned around immediately with the go to charge. I did find that interesting with Elway. I, I honestly, it's hard for me to sit back and just be like, oh, okay, I 100% agree with what you got saying, whenever I know a lot of things <laughs> right, yeah. that potentially are on the contrary of that. That's like if I came out and was just like, I'm the baddest motherfucker on earth, a lot of people would be like, hmm, uh, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, it just doesn't work. It. Whenever your past doesn't add up to the exact words coming out of your mouth, for me, I have some questions. We've all had bad bad times. We've all done dumb things. But when there's a repeated theme... Yeah, it just comes off hypocritical. It does come off hypocritical. And now, granted, this might be a very personal thing that happened between Elway and Emmanuel, which I think we will learn eventually that that's what happened. And John Lynch and Elway, I think, are pretty tight. Pretty tight. So the fact that Lynch was cool with it and Elway wasn't, I'll be, I feel like this is a personal thing. But I think Emmanuel Sanders got better, and I think the Niners got better all of a sudden. And that team, I'm not sure what they're going to be able to do in the NFC, especially with how top-heavy the NFC is. I like the Packers a lot. We talked to Josh Sitton today. He talked about how it looks like Aaron Rodgers in LaFleur. It looks like Rodgers is kissing LaFleur's ass, <laughs> which is not normal, Josh Sitton said. This is not a normal thing for Aaron Rodgers. I would assume not. Yeah. Normally, he's very indifferent about everything, but he's come out swinging for LaFleur, and I think that's because LaFleur has made him a better football player. And I think in the end, Aaron Rodgers very much cares about how he performs for his team and for his fans and everything like that because everything's a lot better whenever you perform at your highest level. Life is better. Food's better. Sex is better. You you name it, everything is better when you're playing well. And I think Aaron Rodgers is like, you know what? This guy is making me a better player, and I think I can get along with him a lot better than I did with McCarthy. He's liking him a lot, and that has to be good for the Packers. Yeah, it looks like they're like he's actually having fun for the first time in uh, almost since they won the Super Bowl. And he so deserves like. to be able to have fun. He is the best, in my opinion, the best to ever have done it. Talent. And he's still doing it. Yeah, the most yes. talented quarterback I've ever seen. He deserves to be having fun. I agree. It's a fucking game. But sometimes politics, and whenever you get paid a massive amount of money, expectations come in, and then us talking heads start saying shit. It just it can kind of wear on you. Even though you're successful financially, sometimes it can wear on you, mm-hmm. your situation. This LaFleur thing's really working out. We don't know when Drew Brees is coming back. We don't know if he's coming back this weekend, next weekend, whatever it is. They're going to be very good at football. One undefeated without a fucking MVP candidate, basically. Seahawks got better. They traded for uh, old Nino Diggs, which the Detroit Lions fans are very excited about. No, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Seems like that locker room's real excited about it as well. No, sir. (laughs) 
I have all the faith in the world, Matt Patricia, though, after meeting him. Do you? Yeah, I do. I can't marry oh! him yet. It's too early. It's too early. I can't marry Matt Patricia oh, yet. And I don't think this is him. I think this is the GM. Bury it. I think they got a guy behind. That's a point. That's I a think they point. got a guy behind Nino that, they, that he drafted. Bob Quinn, the GM, drafted. And he's like, let's get this guy out of here. Let's bring in the Lion way, a different way of saying the Patriot way. And we'll oh. see. I guess you got to be patient. They traded away Golden Tate last year. I don't know. Yeah, but you've been, been you've been being patient for the last you know twenty five years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and some would argue you're very patient. Yeah. And don't feel bad for me or any of the fans. Don't feel bad for the city. Feel bad for Matthew Stafford. Yep, I agree. He's the guy that I feel terrible for. Dude. And you know how good he would be, dude. <laughs> in another city, I hate even saying that. And all he does is come in, he gets slaughtered out there, he has a broken collarbone, broken tailbone, broken knee, a broken everything. Never complains. Has never complained once, has never had an offensive line, has never had a running back. Will you put yourself on fucking so, camera? You're going on an incredible rant right now and just staring at me. It's hard to multitask. I can barely talk into a microphone as it goes. So I think you were this, doing great. I think yeah. you're doing great. What are you right talking there? about? You're I just, awesome. I just wish you would have been able to get credit via the video because instead you're staring at me flexing, <laughs> which is an interesting thing because Matty Stafford never complains. Never. He got buried by that Bleacher Report cartoon for no reason. That was unbelievable. <laughs> Emo I'm out on Bleacher Report after that. <laughs> Completely out. You're out on Bleacher Report? After that? Know. Hell yeah. That was terrible. You know how much time that animation probably took? That probably <laughs> took over a month for them to make. As a video editor, I think I know that. And it was an absolute fucking fail. Smear job. It, it was, was terrible. It was a hit piece. Dude. It was. It was Dude. terrible. And Dude, they asked like him that. about it. They asked him about it. He hadn't watched it. And he said, you know what? I'll not watch that some other time. <laughs> I like that answer. I like that answer. I like Stafford. We got a chance to be at that wedding, which is the dude guy we're referring to. <laughs> One of my agents, David Coonan at CAA, in another life, if he wasn't an agent, would be the most electric figure on the internet. Yep. His dad owns the Hawks. Mm -hmm. He works his ass off, though, this guy. And he's like best friends with Matthew Stafford because of their days at Georgia. When he got married, that was when we did the Benny Hanna thing, the uh, yeah. yep. the the aura, the Torah. Your first Jewish wedding. It was fucking awesome. It was awesome. Uh, we've met a lot of people, and I've got to see a lot of people with you, and I never asked for pictures. That's the only time I regret not taking a picture with Matthew Staff. Wow. Yeah, I think you acted like we'll probably get a chance to see him again. Maybe not. I'm not sure. But he was very cool and down so to earth. Nice, yeah. Because he doesn't do a lot of media, doesn't right. talk much. Yeah, so I always thought much. he was kind of like standoffish or something like that. Mm -hmm. He's been paid $700 million or yeah. whatever. <laughs> yep. He was very, very cool. Like, very cool. And he doesn't do a lot of, in that whole, I can't wait to watch that never or whatever he said about that thing yeah made me i a real <laughs> pop for me i actually really laughed at that great answer and he's performed very well for the lions lost calvin johnson early in his yep. career has had to battle through different regimes and everything now it looks like they have a good team patricia's building something hopefully he'll be able to just continue to dominate but it does suck for maddie stafford yeah i feel bad for him he literally was drafted to the worst team in nfl history oh and 16 then they picked yeah you'll be fine dude the Lions are cursed. That's all I have to say. That's well, Ford stock is plummeted. Yeah. Okay, can I just go can, while I'm going? The state of Michigan. The state of Michigan. Camera on you. The state of Michigan is falling apart. Michigan State football stinks. Harbaugh stinks. Pistons. Blake Griffin's out. Tigers were the worst team in baseball. Red Wings worst team in hockey. Lions have lost three in a row. <laughs> and Jesus. Ford stock has gone downhill. State of Michigan's done. Cancel it.
<laughs> Sell them to Canada. What are you going to do? Whoa. Hey, they put, they put a lot of uh, eggs in one basket there with the EcoBoost on those new cars. And guess what? <laughs> All they do is burn up your starter. <laughs> Todd, Todd has been waiting for the Ford conversation. <laughs> my Ford truck broke down. I hadn't changed the oil in it in three years. Probably my fault why it broke down. But what led after that was a series of other Fords yeah. that we know breaking down within the same 48 hours. And it almost felt like there was like a glitch in the system where some Dodge hacker got in there and just cut the, the cord on all these. It was like when women live together and they get on the same menstrual cycle. All our <laughs> trucks were on the same breakdown cycle. Like Bluetooth. Yeah. They all synced up and they were mm. like, all right, fuck it. We're done. See you later. What yep. was your problem with your car? It just... The, the gas meter wasn't reading? Mine? Yeah. Uh, Tim McVie tweeted it. I forget what it was. It was uh, the, the synth synthesized volanoid yeah, sensor. The solenoid uh, <laughs> sensor. He tweeted Ford thinking the social media fuckers would know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> Something that tricked your truck into thinking it had a lot more gas than it does. And also, can't the, fill it up. Yeah, because there's pr pressure in there as if it were full. I can't fill up the gas tank, and then it doesn't tell me how much gas is in the gas tank. And then I haven't changed the oil for three years. I mean, there's a lot of potential problems in my particular case. I got it right here. Uh, vapor canister solenoid issue. That's what it was, yes. Tim McAfee tweeted that at Ford, that. and since then their stock has plummeted. Tim McAfee moves the needle. Does. You want to know what's happening in fucking Wall Street? Follow Block Dad's tweets. Took Martha's Don. By the way, the truck is back and operable. From what I've been told, Tim oh. McAfee fixed that thing. Yeah, of course. You know, like, growing up home improvement, Tim Allen would go in the, and huh. build hot rods? Uh-huh. Like, Tim McAfee used to do that with his friends. Like, he used to just build cars. I think that's something awesome. he wants to get back into because anytime something's wrong with my car, I'll get a text like, you want me to check that out? I'm like, yeah, sure. And he'll, I'll go over there, and he's fucking on one of them wheelie things underneath the car, and he's just fucking sliding around. And he comes out who have a towel on his hands, like washing off the oil, basically just punking me in front of me. Like, yeah, you could have done this, but you fucking didn't, so your dad had to come fucking do it, you little bitch. That's basically what he does. But he does. He's very good. He, oh, yeah. he can fix things up like that. Now, who knows if they'll last, if the solenoid center will last. But the fact that he even knew that that existed was We're a his masterpiece well, right now. Yeah, he built this. <laughs> he built this box truck in a week and a half. I just love your dad because he'll say a part like that, you know, that it's gone wrong in your car, and I'm like, oh, how much is that going to cost you? And he'll be, and I'll be like, it's going to be like six hundred bucks to take it in there and get it replaced. And he's like, ah, it's like eighty dollar part. I just order it on Amazon and put it in myself. And I'm like, you're awesome. <laughs> you are awesome. He's a throwback. Yeah, he's a real he throwback. Is. And watching the throwback try to utilize modern technology to get things done. Is a hilarious situation like that tweet to Ford, but my dad, I mean, it skipped a generation. I mean, I, I have calluses on my hands, <laughs> right? Because I work out and I do things like that. But if I didn't lift the way that I lift, whether it's like Olympic lifting, uh -huh. I would have the softest hands on earth. And my dad would slap me in the face if he ever saw how weak I am when it comes to like man stuff, like classic man stuff. And I think he just refuses. To, he turns a blind eye to it, like something would break in my house. And I'm, like, scared to even ask him. Like, Dad, there's something fucking going on with this sensor. And he just goes. <sighs> it's almost a sigh of, like, I let you down. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't teach you anything. I didn't teach you anything. I just had so much ADD. I think he tried. I just wouldn't stick around. Changing tires, building cars, fixing this, fixing that. He's so impressive. And I just can't do shit. I can change a tire. And I guess I could change oil if I really had to. But when it comes to all that other stuff, 
I can't either. And I all can't my friends can do it. I grew up with all my friends were into it. They can all work on their own cars and build their own houses. I, I can't do any. I can barely hang a picture I, on the walls. I feel like it's a pretty effort thing. Like yeah. I feel like it is a lot of effort. But if you just naturally know, like Tim McAfee will go under a brand new car that he's never seen before, and he'll be able to be like, oh, yeah, fucking, uh, uh, this thing's going to, yeah, give me some scissors. Like, what the <laughs> fuck are you cutting? <laughs> ah, this thing's interfering with the, uh, the, this sensor, and it's doing that. It's all metal. It's, I don't know how that works. I would like to see him get in on that Tesla and see if that could just boggle his mind. That would oh. be incredible. Absolutely incredible. All right. Speaking of incredible. You need a double A. <laughs> a battery joke A bad joke? <laughs> battery Hey, I went after you a little bit after the show ended uh, for your music selection A lot of people thought I was being rude to you No, come on I mean, I was I loved it I was, it, it led me to the better path that I'm on right now Yeah, you're better for it Zito is <laughs> currently being forced to take at least four shots a show A live show And shots mean... <laughs> Zito's special brain creates something, and because he has to do stuff, I think he gets a filter sometimes, and he doesn't let the brilliance or the stupidity come out. So I have forced him now that he has to take four shots a show, at least. If something comes, you got to let it go. If you have the ball, you got to put it up, whatever it is. Sure. And I think that's going to make our show a better show going forward. I honestly think that is. The no salt in the Pacific Ocean thing. <laughs> nope. the, there, there's just numerous situations that come from this brain. I think it's going to make our show better. But what I learned today is, you will never, ever, ever again touch the fucking music. <laughs> that was the worst end song to a show that I've ever heard in my entire life of any show that's ever been on anything in the history of anything. I will say, it did say cinematic, so I thought it would be very cinematically good ending, but it did not do a good ending at all. Yeah, I learned that too. It did not do a good ending at all. <laughs> cinematic means like, yeah, just crappy music like you would hear during the, the credits in a song. It was called Avalanche. I thought it would be better. I came crashing down for sure. The, um, <laughs> the thought of you, Zito, is you're so talented at so many things, <laughs> but at the same exact time, just so inept. Yeah. And it makes no sense. It's a perfect balance. Complete and utter buffoon at times. There <laughs> I, don't, will never I don't know be what a, that means. There will, <laughs> exactly. There will <laughs> never be another Jose Zito Perez, and we're all lucky to have you in our lives. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Amen. But that music stunk. <laughs> it did. So bad. I'll um, go next time. Speaking of things that don't stink, how about having longer sex? You ever think about that? Oh. All the time. You know what people used to do whenever they were uh, trying to last longer in a sack? Think about baseball. Car Which? crashes. What was that? Car crashes. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to town. <laughs> Just singing the cars <laughs> crashing in your head. Like uh, this will make me last longer in a sack. <laughs> Used to say the alphabet backwards. Yeah, Can't sing the national anthem. Those are all very quick things, though. Mm -hmm. So what, unless you're tag-teaming all of these back-to-back-to-back-to-back and telling your dick not to feel anything, it's not going to really help you in the sack at all. Nah. That's why a company came along and said, we got your back and your front. Roman. GetRoman.com slash USA. That's GetRoman.com slash USA. Get $5. For $5, get a month supply of Roman swipes. And these swipes, are they wipes? 
Swipes. Yeah. Swipes. But they are wipes. They are wipes yep. that are swipes. It, mm. But it, they come in discreet packaging. They're this tiny little thing you can put in your back pocket. Whenever you are ready to go to uh, Fornicateville, you bring them out, you wipe it on your 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 jewels there. Mm -hmm. It won't transfer to your partner. No. And all of a sudden, you have longer, better sex from your friends at Roman. For $5, you'll get an entire month of Roman swipes. And that means you'll have an entire month of great sex. And after you have that month, not only is your lady going to be like, oh, what have you gotten into? You're going to be like, I'm a whole new me, thanks to your friends at Roman. Right now, GetRoman.com slash USA. GetRoman.com slash USA. And you'll say, I'm glad I went there. Big thanks to Roman Swipes. Big thanks to you for using them. And your lady will thank us as well for having that happen. You're going to put on a show in a sack because of your friends at Roman. GetRoman.com slash USA. Speaking of USA, there's a, there's a guy that most of USA is turned on. <laughs> and I had some thoughts. <laughs> I like watching greats do great. Like I, I enjoy learning about why the people at the top of the mountain are at the top of the mountain. I enjoy learning what he has done to get him to where he's at. I, I like that type of stuff. I enjoy that type of stuff. That's why I was so lucky to play alongside Peyton Manning and Vinatieri and these people. It's inspiring to learn how they do what they do to get to the top of their field. By the way, most of it revolves around just working your ass off. That, that's a lot of it, but right. a lot of it has to be naturally gifted, genetics and everything like that. You have to fall in place, and it's interesting to learn about. So I've always been a LeBron James fan, and I don't think I ever followed along close enough off the court to really understand why everybody hates him. And I have a lot of friends, Nick Moraldo, my friend Nick, who's on this show on a daily basis. I mean, he hates LeBron James. He's hated him for a long time. But Nick is a notorious hater. So it's just like I can't really take that <laughs> serious. You know, like I can't, I can't be like, okay, Nick hates this guy, so that must be real. Right. But then you start hearing like a lot of people on the internet. Everybody's kind of turning against him. Even if you didn't hate him, you're kind of turning against him. I was always like, what are we doing, guys? What are we doing? And then now that I'm in this position, I've been paying attention more. He is a tough guy to like. I mean, it is a tough human to like. And I normally am not a fan of things if I don't like the person. If I don't like the human that's in the band, I'm not going to support the band. Right? I can't separate the music or the art from the human. I can't yeah. do that. So I always just assume LeBron's a good guy. I'm like, LeBron's a good guy. I like him. He's good at his thing. He's at the top of the mountain. People like to throw rocks at shiny things. Taylor Swift said that. That's just kind of what's happening with LeBron. He's been great for so long. People just hate him because of that. Then you start paying attention. You're like, yeah, this guy stinks. Well, this this led so much credibility to the criticism because you have been defending him. Mm -hmm. I mean, hard for a very long time. It's the Taco Tuesday thing. That's where it all started with me. I'm like, come on, dude. Yeah. No self awareness. Come on, guy. Last year, I mean, he showed up to the court drunk a couple times. Had his wine. He was a wine connoisseur. Which, by the way, if you have millions and millions of dollars having a sophisticated palate is definitely something you can buy yeah. that is something you can buy so everybody's like oh he thinks he knows wine he doesn't maybe he does you don't know probably maybe, probably just went up to a vineyard and bought the whole place and said <laughs> hey smart guy who has a better palate than me teach me everything i need to know i want to get drunk and show up at basketball games which is what he did last year so i didn't hate that He's worked hard. Take a little break. Yeah, you've been in the playoffs ever since you're 18 years old. You want to take a year off because your team stinks. Might be your fault the team stinks, but that's neither here nor there. Your team stinks. Just show up. Do what you got to do. Take a year off. You're in Los Angeles. Start 45 shows. Try to sue Nick Saban for a barbershop idea that you thought you created, even though there's an entire movie series about it. Do whatever you got to do. Okay? 
But these last couple months, it has become damn near impossible to be a LeBron James human fan. And that China thing was just the, that was the cherry on top. I'm like, come on, bro. Stand for something even if you have to sacrifice everything. Unless, unless, <laughs> it is going to sacrifice everything financially, then you got to backpedal completely. Do I think he was put in a bad position to even have to speak about that? Yes. I think they were put in a bad spot. Adam Silver admitted that on Get Up yesterday while I was standing in the background while Greeny was interviewing him. Or on Monday, I mean. But that just became a part where I was like, come on, man. Then the Taco Tuesday, I'm like, come on, man. Then he starts yelling during the National Anthem with all this stuff. You would think that he's going to put 70 up, 80 up. Instead, they lose to the Clippers in the opening game of L.A. in L.A. And it's like, LeBron, it's becoming tough to be a fan of yours. And I've been a noted fan of yours. I got a pair of Braun Braun shoes. All of them that come out, I got them. I'm trying to support the biz, dog. I think you're going to be a billionaire. I'm happy for you. You've done it You've done it all right. Literally, taking care of your mom, taking care of everything. You've done things right. But you've just become this insufferable human off of the court that it's tough to like. So now, anything I talk about LeBron is going to be strictly on the court base. And last night, he got bodied by Kawhi. <laughs> so I, I just can't. I don't even know if that's true. I didn't watch the game. I, I, mean, I fell asleep. It was on at like 4 a.m. I don't know what you want from me. I know they lost and he only scored like two points in the fourth quarter. That's not winning basketball. But, no. man, I just can't do it anymore with the guy. I'm fed up. And I'm absolutely fed up. He just can't help himself. I think that's it. But I also wouldn't be surprised and I wouldn't hate it if he just embraced it and just went full heel turn. I think he has. I think he has, too, because he's so many people are you know taking shots at him and he's taking shrapnel from everywhere and he has so much money why why not just be like all right screw you guys screw everyone i'm gonna make sure you hate me then i think the taco tuesday thing <laughs> was the start of it he was still trying to be babyface then mm -hmm. babyface in wrestling terms is liked i think he was still trying to be babyface show that he's relatable look what we do look what we do we have a little taco bar hard shell soft shell <laughs> We're, I'm just like you. That's what LeBron's saying. I'm just like you. Trying to be relatable. Yeah. That backfired because you tried to copyright it. And everybody's like, come on, dude. Chi-Chi's had that thing I mean, yeah. years ago. Come on. <laughs> so that, that kind of turned a little bit. And then the China situation where he decided to come out and speak about it. Yeah. I think that was when he mentally was like, all right, everybody's going to hate me for this for sure. Here we go. And then last night, middle of the national anthem, starts yelling. He's, <laughs> ah, let's go. <laughs> he has fully embraced being a heel. Which I don't think he's been trying to do for the last 10 years. No. A lot of people viewed him as a heel for the last 10 years. I think now he has fully just embraced it. And if they can win, that's cool. But if you lose, <laughs> if you start to lose, that's going to be tough. I mean, he'll be a billionaire. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. He's sure. going to be considered one of the greatest of all time. He's always going to be in discussion with MJ and Kobe. It's just the way it's going to go. He's done a lot of that stuff. But I just wish he wouldn't have become such an insufferable human being because I was a fan. And whenever I'm a fan of something, it turns out that they just stink. It's tough for me because I start taking shots. I start getting texts. Uh, did you see what your guy did? Mm -hmm. yep. I never met the guy. <laughs> did you see what your guy did? And it just, it's, it, they've been coming in abundance with LeBron lately. Everybody I know has been saying, A.Q. Shipley. Oh, my God. There's a guy. He'll send me a text anything LeBron does. Still think he's better than Jordan? Because <laughs> I've always said, if you just look at what Bron Bron is, okay, he's like six foot eight. 260 pounds. Freak. Freak athlete. Insane athlete. 
And they're always like, well, he's playing in an era where they cater to a scorer. Let's assume that the six foot eight, two hundred sixty pound guy would have been able to adapt to basketball back in the day. Let's assume the guy that should be playing point or, or power forward who can run point could have adapted to basketball back in the day. Everybody said, well, he wouldn't have been able to make it, but yes, he would have. Yes, he would have. Would Jordan have done better nowadays? I assume. Oh yeah. I assume. I assume he would have done. By the way, not as many little white guys playing nowadays either, though. <laughs> Something to think about. Okay. Yes, the hick from French Lick was a nightmare on the court. But there's a lot. Of, you watch those highlights of Michael Jordan at the show. A lot of uncle uncle bums running around on their thing. Where I seen on the streets at like a family reunion of mine. <laughs> so I, I just always said that he should be in the conversation, the greatest player of all time. The guy's been in the playoffs for like 45 years straight. He's taken terrible teams to the finals. He's won finals MVPs. He's hit clutch shots, even if he's missed clutch shots, which Michael Jordan has also done. Let's just assume that that guy would have been able to adapt to the game back then. Absolutely. Let's just assume he would have been able to do that, which is what I always said. I'm like, yeah, he's the greatest player of all time. When he's done, nobody's saying this guy's the greatest player of all time. Now he's making it so hard to say he's good at basketball because of how bad he is off the court. <laughs> and I hate it. I hate everything about it. I want to send my shoes back. I don't even want to wear them. <laughs> send them back to China. You know what I mean? <laughs> bro, bro, I am so mad about it. I, I, if he wins that game last night, I'm a completely different human right now. But instead, he loses it. On opening night, after all the antics, I needed him to drop 60 there last night. It's quick. Instead, I got 60 text messages this morning like, yeah, see what your guy did? Lost it. Two points in the fourth quarter. <laughs> like, I'm done with it. <sighs> He did show up drunk, though. I mean, he just showed up with wine. And he let the ball what, roll out of bounds last year. Yeah. They rolled the ball down the court. He's trying to save clock in, like, the middle of the first quarter. He just lets it roll right out of bounds. I'm like, come on, Bron, Bron. He did two times in one game, too, right? Yeah, and then he, the one time he just <laughs> he picked it up and hocked the three from, like, half court. That guy gave no dams last year. I wouldn't either, though. He did look drunk. <laughs> yeah, he looked drunk on the court last year. And I'm not saying that as a like a journalist who did investigation and right. sent him a breathalyzer. I'm just talking about the antics he was doing on the court. Yeah. It looked like he completely gave up. I would, too, by the way, if I had four shows bought by HBO, NBC, and a Space Jam series coming out, and I was making bazillions of dollars, and I'm trying to copyright talk a Tuesday all at the same time. <laughs> I can understand how you can give up, but the greatest of all time, you would hope, would act differently. Well, and I think a lot of people share your sentiment. Like, if they start this season, let's say, like, 5-10 and 10 or something like that, I guarantee everyone's going to be calling for his head in L.A. and for the Lakers to blow it up. He may, he might uh, ax Frank Vogel himself. Like, we'll, I love we'll Frank. See. By the way, I completely forgot Frank Vogel was their head coach. Yeah. Well, LeBron's the head coach, but he's the... Ah! <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you. First, first sign of things going wrong... LeBron's team will float that out there like, hey, we got to get Vogel out of here. He's the problem. This He's guy, the issue. His name's Frank. Okay. He's kind of a, a boring guy, it looks like, from the outside. Frank Vogel's a G, by the way. He spent a lot of time in Indianapolis. I've been at plenty of charity event with Frank Vogel. Good dude. Hopefully they turn it around. But right now, on this given day, Wednesday, October 23rd, I'm sick of LeBron. <laughs> Let's go. And I never thought this was going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, I just, I, I've turned on a guy. I think everybody has. It makes sense. This show is coming to an end, and whenever we end something awesome, what do we like to do? Rumness. Pop the bubbly. Mm, yep. We didn't really start getting into this until our brand new sponsor sent us a box of champagne bottles, which, by the way, I was never really into champagne. It used to make my tummy hurt. Now that I'm a little bit older, and with our brand new sponsor, Luke Belair, it tastes fucking good. 
and the bottle pop is automatically a show stealer. We have a new sponsor that I want to talk about that you've probably seen in clubs, social media, and even during locker room celebration. It's called Luc Belair, and it's the best French bubbly I've ever tasted. That is true. It does taste delicious. Most bubbly makes my tummy hurt. Mm -hmm. I don't like the flavor. This stuff popped the bottle straight from the bottle. I drink it down. It tastes delish. It's right for any drinking occasion. Luke Belair's award-winning French bubblies pair well with any meal and taste amazing on their own. The range. Luke Belair has four unique blends. The number one French rosé in America plus Lux Gold and Lux Rosé. Each bottle is crafted with taste and tradition in mind. You can enjoy Luke Belair during a night out, a dinner party, or any occasion you want to make feel extra special. When you're popping bottles, things just feel better. That means things are going right. And Luke Belair, the best French bubbly, is the bottle you should be popping today. I want you to experience the Luke Bel Air and love it as much as I do. So I've arranged for all listeners of this show to get 30% off. Holy shit. 30% off their wow. first order by going to LukeBelair.com slash Pat. That's L-U-C-B-E-L-A-I-R-E.com slash P-A-T for 30% off your first order. LukeBelair.com slash Pat. Merci beaucoup is what you will be saying to us after you get this 30% off at LukeBelair.com slash Pat. Show was good today. Thank you so much for listening. Send us tweets. Make us laugh. Have a good time. Be a part of the conversation. We love hearing from you. That is a real thing, not a fake thing. And if we don't respond to you immediately, we'll get back to you some other time. You're the best. We can't thank you enough. Ty Schmidt. We've gone corporate, so please play some independent music. And if you are an independent artist, send them to us via Twitter. Tweet them at Ty Schmidt, at me, at Viva Lazito, at Evan Foxy, at Todd McComas, at Tone Diggs, at Nick Brado, all of us. If you're an independent artist and want to get your music played and your label won't sue us, tweet them to us because that is the new ending of the show. Ty Schmidt, play some independent music that won't get us fucking sued. Somebody's buying photos. Oh, yeah.